everyone. Welcome back to the Sarah Carter Podcast Show. It's so great to have you with me today. There is so much news developing. I'm here live from the beautiful Hillsdale College Kirby Center in Washington, D.C. The sun is out. It's hot. We're dealing with it. But we're going to talk about the news of the day. What's really important right now is that we're seeing a challenger, a challenger to Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She looks like she's going to be in the hot seat, folks, in 2020 because someone's coming right up behind her. And her name is Cherie Marie. She is a businesswoman in New York in the 14th Congressional District. She is from the Eastern Bronx and the northern part of Queens and a Jamaican immigrant. She's a Republican and she has something to say to Alexandria Cortez and it was incredible. She first came on the scene um, just this week with a big message to, uh, to Cortez, to AOC, saying basically that, look, we need someone in our district that's going to represent the people, somebody that's not out there just for politicking and uh, political gain, somebody who's really cares about the people in the district. We know now because of AOC and because she challenged Amazon, Amazon pulled out of New York. It was a job loss of probably about 25,000 people. The 14th Congressional District is facing a lot of problems. She talked about the subway system and how it's crumbling, how their roads are in need of repair, how they need to tackle the educational system. This is a big challenge because right now what we're seeing is a left that has gone so far to the left. AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, they call them the squad. I mean, these people are really moving towards a socialism. That's what we're looking at. Socialistic values. And here we have a Jamaican immigrant who came to the United States at the age of nine with her family and has built a life around building bridges. She has educated herself. She reaches out to people in her community. She's a strong businesswoman. She understands numbers. She understands people. And she cares about her district. And what we're not seeing from the Democrats is that kind of compassion and love for the people of this country for the people that are sacrificing every single day to make their life better for their families. What we're hearing is rhetoric. And part of that rhetoric coming from AOC and coming from others like Ilhan Omar um, and Rashida Tlaib and others is this continuous battle against the Trump administration, particularly with immigration. I mean, we see AOC crying at the border. We see her talking about stories, by the way, which have not been validated, that migrants uh, being held in facilities by Border Patrol were being forced to drink out of toilets. Well, I can tell you this. I contacted Border Patrol agents at those facilities, and I've spoken to union representatives for the Border Patrol, and they have said that is a flat-out lie. It is a lie because they say that there's video cameras in those facilities recording almost everything that's going on. And if somebody would have done that within their ranks, if there was some kind of bad apple within their ranks, that person would have been handled, or at least they would have had evidence of it on tape. Today, what's really important for me is that we talk about border security. We talk about the narco traffickers, the drug cartels, and how they're ripping our nation apart. What's really important is that we focus on what we can do as a nation to save our children, to save our families, to save our countries 
from this horrible epidemic that is killing tens of thousands of people a year, millions of people from the poison that's being delivered by these narco-trafficking organizations in Mexico and Central America, uh, products from China like fentanyl. And what we know now is that, yes, some of Trump's policies are working. Some of them are working. But we need so much more. We need to focus on what's happening in our country. And we really need to do it now because this is an urgent matter. This is an emergency. And we can't allow the left to steal that away. We have to stick with the facts. We have to tell the truth. And that's why I have in studio with me today Derek Maltz. He's a former director of the DEA Special Operations Division. He's now an executive on national security and public safety matters, and he's a great friend. And he and I, along with Heidi Riggs, by the way, who's a a phenomenal woman, a huge advocate, fighting for the lives of children all across America. Her daughter, Marin, died several weeks after her 20th birthday from an overdose of heroin. So Heidi Riggs and I and uh, Derek Maltz testified before the Ohio Committee uh, on Justice and Crime uh, about four weeks ago. And we testified that the federal government should urge that that the federal government should basically make the most prominent drug cartels foreign terrorist organizations, that they should designate them as FTOs, foreign terrorist organizations. And it passed the committee. Then it went to the full house. And this is what's so incredible. Ninety five to one. Almost unanimous, both Democrats and Republicans passed the bill to urge the federal government to designate these prominent drug cartels, foreign terrorist organizations. And that's why I have Derek Maltz with me here today to talk about this really important subject. Derek, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's a great opportunity to let the public know what the truth is out there in the streets of America. Yeah, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible, incredible challenge for us as a nation. We're faced with so much death, so much hardship. Families have been torn apart. Our communities have been ripped apart. And for the longest time, both you and I particularly, I want a full disclosure here, Derek was in a documentary I produced called Not in Vain. That's V-E-I-N. You can find it at notinvainusa.com uh, where we talked about these issues and we took the viewers on a ride uh, and explained what the drug cartels are doing and why these cartels are operating as terrorist organizations. These aren't just about small gangs selling drugs. These are about multinational. Uh, basically, they operate like corporations um, destroying our country. Uh, Derek, I want you to talk a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about your role in the DEA, what the DEA does. Um, some of the, I, I know you were involved in the Cassandra Project. That was huge. Could you talk a little bit about your work, your role, um, and and what you foresee in the future. So I was fortunate to be the head of the New York Drug Enforcement Task Force uh, and then got promoted to run the Special Operations Division in 2005, a few years after 9-11. And basically, I was lucky because I had good cooperation, good support from the leadership of my agency, and we were able to build up this synchronization center of going after transnational criminals around the world. 
And we had, when I first started, nine agencies, but we grew the operation to 30 agencies, you know, DOD, Intel Community, Law Enforcement, three different countries, and the NYPD. And the reason the operation grew is because of this dangerous connectivity between these traditional criminals, drug traffickers, human traffickers, and the worldwide global terrorists like Hezbollah and others, Hamas and Al-Qaeda. So the U.S. government, Department of Justice, was trying to really focus in on preventing another 9-11. So the agencies were united at the Special Operations Division to try to work and to do the best that we could to connect the dots of the terror, drug, criminal networks. And so basically it was a very, very complex task because the government in many ways is dysfunctional the way people look at things in a silo and then the congressional, uh, you know, problems that we have with they don't understand what's going on in, on the streets. And that's why thank you very much for getting me involved with the project. I'm very passionate about this topic because when people are losing their loved ones, that it just they're devastated. So anything I could do to help spread the word, to be able to contribute, to educate, because honestly, Sarah, that's what's kind of missing, the education right. to the public. This is not a border issue. This is a United States national security issue, a national health emergency. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. I talk to the people on the ground. I talk to the workers. I talk to law enforcement. So it's a much more complex issue than the migrants coming in and, quote unquote, being mistreated. That's right. You know, you and I have spent so much time on the border. I know I've spent my career uh, covering the border. You obviously have dealt with the law enforcement side of things. I've tried to get down there, talk to the migrants themselves, talk to the people within Mexico, talk to the DEA, talk to Border Patrol agents, uh, and and really focus on the facts, what's really happening there. I remember more than a decade ago, I wrote a story about the nexus, the link between the drug trafficking organizations and the terrorist organizations, particularly when they started pushing their narcotics to Africa and making those joint uh, connections there, especially in Guinea-Bissau and other areas. Talk a little bit about that, because I don't think the public really knows. And honestly, when I wrote that story over 10 years ago, there was such a big pushback from oh, yeah. the government. They did not want that story to come out. They didn't want to expose what was really going on at the border. Okay, so great question. So. I recently did testimony for the uh, House uh, Financial Affairs Committee to talk about the dangerous connection between the drug proceeds and criminal proceeds to fund terrorist organizations. So let's make something very clear. Terrorists need money to operate. They now have figured out that criminal activity like drug trafficking, human smuggling, arms trafficking, counterfeiting are all lucrative businesses around the world. So they need funding to pay logistics, to pay for explosives, to pay for you know, the corruption all over these countries. But the bigger thing is, is that these criminal groups are just global now. So the cartels are not just in America. They're, they've they've completely, uh, you know, enhanced their operations around the world. They have base of operations in Africa. Of course, Venezuela was a global hub for Hezbollah and global drug trafficking. But the big thing is, is that we have our country set up in the dark ages. When I was preparing for testimony, I was reading testimony from 1985 in a Strom Thurmond uh, congressional hearing about the dangerous connectivity between drug trafficking and terrorism. But yet, all these years later, we're still debating it because it's a controversial topic and certain agencies don't want to accept it. What about the American public? They expect Washington to accept it, to get with the times. We're not in 1960s anymore. We're, at, we're in it with a dangerous threat to our country. They're using state-of-the-art technology. 
They're aligning themselves up with these global transnational criminals. They're making billions of dollars, and we're vulnerable. And the Democrats keep saying over and over again, they try to push this idea that there's no crisis at the border, that there's no risk. I want to play something for our listeners right now and for you, Derek. This is President Obama. Could we roll that tape? This is President Obama while he was president of the United States talking about the drug cartels and the border crisis. We have responsibilities as well. We have to do our part. We have to crack down on drug use in our cities and towns. We have to stem the southbound flow of guns and cash. The drug trade is extraordinarily... There's President Obama. He's saying we have to stem the southbound flow of drugs and cash. We have him admitting that there's a crisis on the border. Yet this new wave of Democrats, especially a lot of the younger ones that have come in, the new congressional members like Rashida Tlaib, like AOC, like Ilhan Omar, are pounding this idea that there is no crisis at the border. What do you say to that? How do you respond? Because you were there. You were in the DEA during this time frame. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. Jay Johnson, he was the Homeland Security Director of the United States of America. And what did he do? He was so concerned about the special interest aliens that were all over Central America and Mexico. They had a task force to worry about these people coming into the country. Explain Central, uh, uh, explain special interest aliens. For it's us. basically countries identified by the national security apparatus of America that are very, very concerning to the national security of America. So they identify certain countries and certain people that are looking to get into America, and they had a task force to scrutinize these particular travelers, right? So that was going on for years, but then all of a sudden, this new regime just thinks it, it's gone away. It's actually gotten worse because now the borders are wide open because our border patrol has to do babysitting du- duties instead of watching our border. You just walk over, you come into America, you go to a city. Now they want to give free health care, they want to give free college. Meanwhile, we got homeless everywhere. But the big issue is that the Obama administration at least talked a big game, right? They talked about doing our part in the video, in the in the clip. Well, what is their part? The responsibility is for the safety and security of Americans first. And that's the federal government, isn't it? Yes. And that's the responsibility of the president of the United States. And that's why President Trump is so adamant right. on pursuing and changing the laws and making it making it so that our Border Patrol can do their job. Because we know that particular areas of the border, and I've seen it for myself, when a large stem, a large flow, especially if the drug cartels know how to play them, and they do, yeah, what they, they'll do is they'll send in a whole group into one area, leave the whole other area wide open, and what comes through, Derek? Yeah, they you, they use that as a diversionary technique to get the Border Patrol focused on the people and the kids and the mamas, but what they're really doing is bringing the drugs over the other side when no one's watching. Why do you think there's so many people opposed, not a lot, but in the federal government to actually designating the foreign, you know, the drug cartels, foreign terrorist organizations. So there's multiple reasons. Number one, we have our State Department notoriously has given money to certain countries and they don't want to look bad if certain countries are getting large amounts of money, but we have terrorists that are being harbored in those countries. That's number one. Number two, we have turf battles between law enforcement agencies that want to conduct terrorism operations in silos, in cocoons. So they try to control the investigations, and they try to take away the responsibility of other agencies. So as an example, in the Hezbollah investigation, we identified 300 businesses in America that were sending cars to Africa to support Hezbollah, but we only were able to attack 30 because we couldn't get cooperation. The information sharing was broken because agencies want control. So 
The DEA administrator, I understand, opposed the designation, probably because of the politics. He doesn't want to let his agents down. They'll lose control of their cases to the FBI, let's say, which is a bunch of nonsense because we have Americans dying at a rate that we've never seen in the history of the country. So that nonsense has to be in the past. We lived through that prior to 9-11. You would think that 18 years later after 9-11, the the 9-11 Commission and all of these investigations, OIG matters, GAO, that people would start sharing information and start addressing the threats of 2019, not 1980. So the problem is the threats are way more sophisticated. They're way more integrated. They utilize the capabilities of all of these transnational criminals. And by the way, the last I checked, terrorism was a crime. So why are we investigating terrorism in a cocoon? Why are we not looking at the criminal proceeds of counterfeit and human smuggling, arms trafficking, drug trafficking that are helping these nasty, violent groups like the cartels in Mexico to get bigger, stronger, more powerful, buy more weapons and kill more people? It seems like it's going to be a never ending battle if we don't do something to rectify it and fix it. Explain to me what designating the drug cartels, in your own words, because I, I've, I've done this with you for some time. We've talked about this inside and out. Designating them foreign terrorist organizations, how will that help our government? Okay, so let's go back to what the process is. So the State Department has the ability to declare organizations as foreign terrorists, FTOs. And can you show that it's a foreign organization? Yes, the Mexicans are foreign. Can you show that they're involved in terrorist activity, intimidation, extortion, kidnapping, all of that? Yes. And the big thing is the level of violence, right? Is it impacting the national security of America? Like this is a 101, like a third grader can understand that they should be designated. Now, what is it going to do? It's going to create immediate focus by all the agencies and a sense of priority more so now instead of going after a simple drug trafficking organization or a human smuggling organization, uh, you know, helping these poor migrants coming out of Central America. It's going to now be way more intense, and you're going to be able to use the powerful capabilities of the United States military, the best in the world, and our intelligence community that does some really, really devastating things and has unbelievable authorities when they're going after terrorists. And then, of course, law enforcement, they'll continue to do what they do, which has been a really, really awesome job. But the power of the unity of effort of those three components is like what we need because When you talk to the families around this country and you see the devastation to not only their loved ones, but their communities and their extended families, it's it's complete terrorism. Look what's happening in Mexico. Not only are the murder rates going through the roof, all the disappearances are going through the roof. That's right. And they're not counted. They're not counted because the Mexicans don't want to scare off tourism. But what about the stew maker? He's taking 400 bodies and dumping them in acid pits. And what about all the heads that are hanging on fence posts? And the trees, the, uh, the trees contain legs and heads. It's insanity. Well, and we've seen that here in the United States, not just in Mexico. We see, uh, we saw in Los Angeles, hey, look. a case against MS-13 where they were literally cutting the heart right out, out of, of the, the body. Victim. And by the way, Sarah, they're using machetes to kill people. The poor homeless guy was sitting in their territory. He was cut up. They're throwing body parts in the woods. By the way, the Sicarios, as I call them, the assassins, MS-13. Their motto is rate, kill, and control. They're trying to control territories, and that's exactly what's happened. But you know what's scary? 19 out of 22 were all illegal, okay? And that's what's happening when I talk to my buddies in the DEA 
throughout the country, when they go on these drug sweeps and they arrest all these people, most of them are illegal in a lot of cases, the high level guys. And, and, and we're hearing from the Dems and from and from people who are uh, special interest groups that we need to open up the borders. And a lot of what they don't understand, and I maybe they understand, but I don't think the American people are getting the full picture here, is that many of the children they call children are in the, you know, 15 to 18 year old age group and unfortunately some of them have been swept up into these gangs like ms-13 and other gangs too and even when they come into the country most of them haven't seen their families their parents or their relatives in years so sarah they're recycling these poor kids and i don't hear the democrats talking about how these kids are being physically and mentally abused how the women one-third of all the women are getting sexually assaulted but you don't hear anything about that just like you don't hear in Atlanta, when there was a seizure of 400 pounds of methamphetamine in a lab in Atlanta, suburb, what happens is six out of the seven guys were illegal. But guess what? The toxic waste from that lab That's is right. being dumped in our communities. Where's all the Green New Deal people on that? That's right. No, that never comes up, does it? I mean, the it's kind of like, like, what are we doing here? It's like, we're just going to avoid that subject. But they can't because this is what's happening in our communities in the country. Look, a lot of these stories are about what's happening in the United States, how the drug cartels are dividing up our nation to sell their poison in our country. We saw overdoses several weeks ago in Franklin County, in Ohio, in Franklin County, where they were coming in to the morgue. And Dr. Ortiz, she's in our documentary, Not In Vain, V-E-I-N-U-S-A.com. You can see it there. It's free. It's a nonprofit. It's to educate people on what's going on here. She saw another surge in Ohio of overdose deaths. Why? Due to fentanyl. Fentanyl that's killing our children, being mixed into the drugs. I mean, many people, they go out on the streets, they buy these pills, they're counterfeit pills, and they die. Well, you look at, like, for example, in Phoenix, right? They went from, in 2017, season 45,000 Mexican Oxy, they call it, the blue pills. And in 2018, it was almost 400,000 pills because the market, the demand is through the roof. And by the way, we forgot to talk about methamphetamine. Go look at the destruction of the families throughout this country. Recently, a contingent of DEA and local law enforcement went to Mexico to meet with the Mexicans to see what's going on. They actually saw a lab that the Mexicans just hit that was producing seven tons of meth every three days. Oh, yeah. And this is something that's impacting all of America. And they're getting the chemicals from China. They're importing the chemicals. They, they have super labs in Mexico and they're producing massive ton quantities of meth. Meanwhile, we're only talking about opioids. That's right. And, and you know, I'm going to ask you this question because this has happened over and over again with me with the DEA where they've said, you know, Mexico always throws us a bone. Every once in a while, they throw us a bone. Right. Uh, which is like Chapo Guzman or Ariano Felix. Like once they hit their prime or past their prime, then we get an arrest of a big narco trafficker. It's a big deal in the news. It's important. I'm glad we have him in our custody. I'm glad he's been sentenced to life. That happened just this week. Right. And they want to seize now all of his finances. But talk about how that doesn't even scratch the surface. Right. I mean, so number one, like Chapo is one of the most innovative like leaders in the drug cartels history and his kids are out there running the operations now zambada garcia is out there hiding out in the hills even rcq who actually was behind the murder of kiki camarena in 1985 he's still out there yeah they go out but let, let me tell you something that the public doesn't realize so the mexican cmar which is the equivalent to like our navy seals right 
They're the ones that have been out there on the front lines battling with these bad guys, these high-value capture guys. But guess what? The new president down in Mexico has already made a determination that Seymour's not going to be involved in this kind of stuff. So who's going to capture these kingpins? So it's all smoke and mirrors, Sarah. They do some good things here and there to catch the media attention. But just like now, they put the troops on the southern border of Mexico, which is a great thing, by the way. We've seen a slowdown of, uh, of the migrants coming in our border, which I applaud them for that. But we can't just look at one aspect of this problem. We have to look at the totality. How much money are we giving Mexico right now? That's How much right. money are we giving Central America? I know this president has been very tough on that. And it's a very complex problem because we also want to provide capabilities to the counterparts that are out there putting their lives on the line to help national security. But it's a very delicate balance. Look at the corruption allegations that came out in the Chapo Guzman trial. $3 million to Garcia Luna, who was the Secretary of Public uh, Safety. You know how many times he was in Washington getting briefed by all of us, just, you know, talking about high-level cases? And then we find out that he's getting suitcases of cash. So do you think he was passing information off to the drug cartels? I personally believe he was, yes, based on my experience and knowledge and what I've heard. So, yeah, I mean, that's a very difficult situation. The corruption that's running rampant around not only Mexico, Central America, all over Africa is helping facilitate these massive transnational criminal organizations, which includes terrorists, right? And what people don't realize is that it's the criminal proceeds that are giving them the support that they need. Years ago, they had state sponsorship that was through the roof, right? Well, right now, with all the sanctions, like on Iran, for example, Hezbollah has more and more global operations. They need cash. So they're tapping into drugs and other activities in the tri-border region and other areas of the country. Look, what I, in 2007, I met with one of the greatest leaders in the government uh, military, Admiral James Stavridis. He gave me a fireball slide. He said, Derek, this is what's emerging when the Islamic terrorists and the narco terrorists are coming together. He was in charge of the Southern Command of the U.S. military. He saw this in evolving 12 years ago. It's not going away. It's just getting worse because we're not paying attention and the public needs to be pissed off. The public does. And do you think that the president, let me put it to you this way, Derek. If you had an opportunity to talk to President Trump, sit in front of him and explain to him how urgent a matter this is, what would you say to him? Well, first of all, he's not getting the right advice, number one. He's inherited a dysfunctional mess, right? And he doesn't have the right leaders that, that he's not, he's not tapping into the right leaders that are out there. He needs to get some more expertise and more honest assessments of what's going on. I would tell him, thank you, first of all, for caring about law enforcement and the public safety of Americans, because that's number one. doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you own a hedge fund. If they do something with a biological weapon or some nuclear weapon or some mass casualty event, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. But President Trump, I really want to thank him for caring and resisting all of this stuff. The poor guy works like a you know madman every day. All he does is get attacked for everything he does. And very few people like on the other side recognize that he's really trying to do the right thing for the country. I would just tell him that. Years ago in Colombia, no one wanted to admit the FARC and the AUC were terrorist groups until they started tapping into all the proceeds of the criminal groups and the drug traffickers to where they evolved to be one of the biggest narco-terrorism organizations in the world. The DEA has been following narco-terrorism since the days Pablo Escobar was blowing up planes and killing judges and blowing up buildings. The madness is just now in Central America and Mexico, and it's coming to this country. Look at Ali Karani sitting in New York City. Thank God 
the U.S. law enforcement intel community took him out. He was a Hezbollah cell looking to blow up buildings, go after JFK Airport, and those cells are out there. We just don't know where they and are. And those cells have benefited from the drug trade. Right, and also crossing over the border. I mean, 12 years ago, billionaire arms trafficker Manza Kassar was telling our informants he needed to get his Middle East and Syrian friends into America, and he asked for 100 passports in Central America because he with Middle Easterners on the, on the passports because he wanted to get those operatives in this country. Well, now they just walk over the border. Do you, no think it's, do you think it's already happened? Because I talked to people in the intelligence community, in law enfor- federal law enforcement that have said, look, we know that border has been passed by, Absolutely. by terrorists. I mean, we know it because we know how many we don't know how many people have actually crossed. Only only the yeah. people we've apprehended. You don't know what you don't know. That's why That's I get right. a kick out of these stats like, you know, 80 percent comes through to POEs. Oh, yeah. How do you know that? What, what's coming across these porous borders? Do you have like these people that come up with these stats? They make it up. To make it fit the narrative. Do you think I'm being cynical here when I, I mean, for years I've thought about this. Why, why would they come after me so hard Te- over 10 years ago when I wrote this story? Mm. That plausible deniability? Do they not want to be a cross-examined after another exactly. 9-11 in front of a right. commission? Is that what it is? Just let it happen and then we'll all pretend Sarah, like, hey, we didn't know what was going on? First of all, I watched your video when you were doing a story about the Mexican border many, many years ago. If you recall, <laughs> I sent it to you because I was obsessing back in those days myself. Because I saw it emerging and I saw the lack of attention, focus, and I also saw the lack of urgency. We still have a lack of urgency. Unfortunately, the bad guys are using the highest level of technology, the encrypted apps. We're in the dark in law enforcement when it comes to infiltrating their communications. But one of the most troubling things that nobody talks about is our experienced leaders in law enforcement are bailing out now. They can't take it anymore. Why can't they take because it anymore? Because they're working 15, 18-hour days. Their families are suffering because of the sacrifices. They don't make a lot of money. It's hard to pay the bills. But the biggest thing, they don't feel supported. Not at the presidential level, at the middle level and the politicians and the Congress. They have to go to hearings. They have to get yelled at and talk to like they're, you know, that they're criminals. Meanwhile, they're dedicating their lives to go help keep America safe. And they feel a little bit underappreciated. And the leadership is cracking. It almost sounds like the families that I talk to across this country when we talk about addiction and them losing their children and the frustration that they feel when no one's listening to them and what's happening at the schools. I mean, they want to just throw their hands up in the air and say, what are we supposed to do? Are we just going to give in to the drug cartels? Because nobody in the on the federal level wants to take responsibility for this, even though the parents, even though the local law enforcement, the cops on the street that battle this every single day want to save lives. But then when you come up to the federal level, Everybody's like, oh, well, we don't want to touch that with the 10-foot pole. Well, I'll just say this. You're exactly right, but the politics are overwhelming. So there was a great story. It's a part of a series this week in the Washington Post on the opioid crisis. So if you think back from 2006, 2012, there were 76 billion pills produced by corporate criminals. And as far as I'm concerned, many of them are. Right. They're greedy. Pushing these pills out and going after the addicted population, right? Getting everybody hooked. No responsibility. No engagement. No sense of urgency. And then all of a sudden... The cartel said, beautiful, we have an addicted America. Now we're going to start sending heroin, the white heroin. So they took the, uh, the job away from the Colombians who were doing that for years. They undercut the Southeast Asians, the Southwest Asians, and then they market our communities to get everyone really, really addicted and get a bigger demand, a bigger customer base. And let's talk about how, how 
young that customer base starts. This isn't about adults just walking out on the street, junkies right, with, deciding, with needles. yeah, no, deciding to walk out with needles. No, this is about middle school. Right. So a kid goes to get kids. a wisdom teeth pulled out, right? The That's doctor right. tries to keep the pain down, gives them some oxy. The kid gets hooked on oxy. Now the kid gets addicted to oxy, going into medicine cabinet, stealing pills from his friend's house. Then he runs out of oxy, but he still has that addiction. He's afraid. He doesn't tell his parents. Now the kid goes to the street and buys a $10 bag of heroin, snorts the heroin, gets really addicted, doesn't need the needle. It's a clean high. But unfortunately, now it's not clean heroin. It's heroin mixed with fentanyl. And in many cases, pure fentanyl in these little bags, in these retail distribution levels. And then what happens? They don't wake up. Well, and it's normal kids. They're not even drug addicts. That's right. And also we're seeing recruitment inside the schools, too. So what, what happens is the drug cartels, MS-13, others push their members in the schools to sell drugs on campus. So sometimes the kids will have, they'll have no idea. They'll be like, oh, I got some pills out of my mom's medicine cabinet. It could be those pills from Mexico. It could be the counterfeit pills. And they sell them to young kids. They try to get them addicted, especially kids with low self-esteem or exactly. kids that are trying to make friends and they want to be cool. Right. Remember when you were a kid? The it's just pressure. Let's not judge because these are children, right? And then they they get them addicted. But let's talk about the new stats that we've seen a 5% drop in deaths. I know you and I have both discussed this. What's your perception of those new statistics? I mean, we see some things that the Trump administration is doing is working, but that 5% decrease, I don't think it's all it's cut out to be. Right. So it's very misleading in many ways. Number one, Narcan is a miracle drug. And thank God for the people that produce Narcan because it's reversing these opioid uh, reactions and even death in many in many cases, right? So all our first responders, our schools, you know, people can go out now and get their own Narcan. When they go to parties, they bring Narcan just in case. So thank God we have Narcan. So that's contributed. But more importantly, I think people are celebrating, but we still have 68,000 people that died from drugs. If you think about that, so that's 15% of all the people that died in 9-11, the Iraq war, and the Afghani war. Incredible. And so think about it. So it's mass amounts of numbers. It's nothing to be celebrating about. Don't get me wrong. It's positive that we've reduced it. I'm happy for that, but it's very misleading. All statistics in Washington are misleading. It's politically driven for people's personal ag agendas. That's it. I want to play, play you a clip of President Donald Trump talking about the drug trade. I want you to hear this and about what we need to do and who we need to target. Let's play it. We agreed on the importance of ending the illegal flow of drugs, cash, guns, and people across our border and to put the cartels out of business. He said it. Yeah, I mean, the only how do thing we I, put the cartels out of business? What you do is you designate them terrorists. You focus, you prioritize. Actually, you know what's actually ironic here, Sarah? Right now, the former attorney general put together a list of four very large scale or five very large scale transnational criminal groups. The Sinaloa cartel, MS-13 and another cartel, uh, Jalisco cartel, and then also a cartel in South America. We're all listed. Right. So now all you got to do is declare them terrorists, focus on the threat. Hold people accountable for results, not every year, every week, every two weeks. What are we doing? What have we accomplished? How is this making a difference? What else do you need? That doesn't happen in Washington. They, they, they say that they're going to focus on these threats, but there's no sense of urgency. With this president, there's always a sense of urgency. So with his the leadership and his support, I feel that we can crush these cartels. 
decimate them, take away their assets, take away their production facilities that are producing meth and fentanyl, and then also obviously block their assets, seize their assets, prevent the cash from legitimate businesses in America who have business relationships with them, cut the cash flow off by putting them on these powerful treasury actions. That's it. These OFAC sanctions and these other designations that they have as part of the Patriot Act. And then you could crush them. It's not that complicated if you focus, prioritize, and you take the politics out. That's right. I mean, we're seeing right now, look, Hezbollah has said it itself. I'm reading the headline here. Hezbollah said to bypass U.S. sanctions by entering drug trade into Europe. Well, okay, Sarah, do you know do you know what the headlines were in 2008, which is now, okay, 11 years ago? Yeah. You know what Michael Chertoff said? That Hezbollah makes Al-Qaeda look like the minor leagues. Well, we've been saying it in the DEA, thank God of DEA's global operations around the world with a good informant network and our counterparts, that Hezbollah was pushing into this area many, many years ago. Everyone was in denial because people didn't see it in their fancy computers. They said DEA's making it up. And we're doing threat assessment after threat assessment. And now we talked about the command and control in Venezuela with the corrupt military and the corrupt government, the President Chavez. And now what do you see in the news now? Oh, my God, there's Hezbollah cells in Venezuela, the Quds forces and tri-border. Oh, my God. That was 12, 13, 15 years ago it was being said. That's right. That's what we were talking about. I was writing those stories. It's the reason I came to Washington, D.C., because I was breaking so many stories along the U.S.-Mexico border that nobody wanted to tell. Okay, so guess what I say to that? Welcome to the land of make-believe. That's right. That's where you are now. You're in the, the problem is, is they don't talk to the people on the front lines. They don't want to hear what is said. They want to see how it fits into their political views and get some more votes. That's what it comes down to. And that's what's so tragic here. I know it's so important. I want to I want to talk to you about something that I know is dear to your heart because your family, not only have you served your nation, but you lost family members. You lost a very close family member, a brother serving this country overseas. And I know that's got to affect the way you see things, the way you view this battle against these narco traffickers, these terrorists. Um, right. It's the same for me, you know. I mean, I know my husband sacrificed a lot. He yes. he was blinded in Afghanistan. We've lost a lot of great friends fighting terrorism. And uh, now we're seeing our nation being poisoned and these drug cartels really are operating with impunity, uh, really operating with impunity. Can you talk a little bit about what happened uh, okay, with so your brother? My brother trained his whole life. He was an instructor in the U.S. Air Force Pararescue, an elite unit in the Air Force. And he was so happy that he can go and apply his skills and training in Afghanistan. And that's why he stayed in the military. He could have retired and went with his family, but he decided to fight for the country. He told his mother he might come back in a body bag, but he was very excited to stand up for America. But just like all those other brave soldiers that have lost legs and eyes and and their lives, right? They put their lives on the line for the country. But here's the thing. more Besides that, on 9-11, I witnessed those planes going into the uh, Pentagon. I witnessed the planes going into the towers. I saw the death and destruction of thousands of Americans. And now what I see, Sarah, which is really, really sad, is all my friends that worked for me or worked with me in the New York task force, they're all dying of 9-11 cancer. So we have this unbelievable catastrophic event that takes place. And you would think that people then would focus on working together, information sharing, and most importantly, that they'd be held accountable if they didn't. We have one continuous information sharing failure. The Boston bombing was the most recent. I could talk all day about that. But what I'm about to say is that 
I remember when Rudy Giuliani was getting attacked after 9-11 by the commission, and he yelled out and he said, we did all we could. So every day when I went to SOD, I just tried to keep my brother, tried to keep my family, tried to keep the citizens, and tried to keep all those warriors who died and do all we could. And right now, it's sickening that we're not doing anywhere near what we can do because this country has the most powerful and best military, law enforcement, and intel community. And right now, as far as I'm concerned, we have the most powerful and best leader as a president. So you have everything. But this dysfunctional Congress that has the lowest approval level in the history, they're going to be able to derail uh, saving lives. It's sickening. It is sickening. So it's up to you. It's up to the American people to stand up, to tell your congressional members, we are not going to lose another life in this nation, another child without a fight. You're going to take on the drug cartels. This is so important. We have to do something. Derek is right. It's up to us as a country to hold our congressional representatives accountable, to say, what are you doing? How are you doing this? How can we make changes? How can we as Americans continue to go on to support our law enforcement if the federal government isn't willing to do its part? And by the way, our agencies too like the CIA, like the DEA, the DHS, the uh, U.S. Customs and Immigration Enforcement, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration. And if leaders in Washington are more concerned about their personal bank accounts and their future employments, they should be fired and they should be prosecuted if they're violating the law. And there's a lot of that going on right now because people are focused in on how do I make as much money instead of how do I save as many lives? And where do we start? What should we do as a country? Where do we start? I mean, I mean, here are the listeners. There, there are people out there that are passionate about this. People that have lost family members, lost their children, um, understand what this is doing to their communities, seeing their communities ripped apart like we saw in Ohio and some areas of Ohio where communities have been so inundated by drugs and crime. Uh, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., out here in Virginia with MS-13. What is it that citizens can do to make a difference, to get that started? Well, I know in Ohio, they're doing something right because they're ground zero for this opioid crisis. So they went to the lawmakers in Ohio and said, what are we doing? And the lawmakers stepped up, Phil Plummer and Scott Wiggum, they stepped up. They got this thing going, this resolution. So they did a great job. Other states should follow that. The citizens should get pissed off and start knocking on doors and giving the uh, politicians a hard time because they have to be responsible for the deaths and destruction in the community. And then once that happens, we could cause a embarrassment to the federal government. And then when 2020 comes around, put the people in office that are going to do right by not themselves and their bank accounts, but the citizens and the public safety for America. And maybe just urging the federal government to take a look at this and to take this seriously, because I've been hearing the same thing you have. Yes. I've been hearing that there's State Department officials upset about this. They don't want to designate them foreign terrorist organizations. They're trying to fight against this uh, against this bill because they're concerned about how Mexico's feeling about it. Apparently, there's a lot of people on the payroll in Mexico uh, in the government. There are people there that we know are taking money from these drug cartels and these Drug cartels are terrified of this bill. Can you imagine if we designate Sinaloa cartel, Nuevo Generacion, Los Zetas, MS-13, and others terrorist organizations? I mean, they won't even know what to hey, do with Sarah, themselves. Sarah, you know this big trend now. They're recruiting all these uh, police officers and military guys and paying them more money. 
And so they want them as part of the cartels or the terrorists, as I call them. And they've been trained. They have tactics training. They have, you know, arms trainings. And that's very that's very scary. I mean, they've been doing that for a long time with Los Etes and and different cartels. But now we're getting to the point where they, they want to fight a war. But we need to be more aggressive and more focused. All right. We're not talking about dropping bombs on Mexico. We are talking about focus using the capabilities and the authority. So let's not spin this out of control. Using those to save our nation. Right. Exactly. And to target these drug cartels. Make a difference to the communities. And, you know, this way people don't have to suffer and go into all these funerals and these poor kids in America that are innocent in a lot of ways because they get injuries from sports, car accidents. They need medication. And what's really sad, Sarah, to be honest, is that now certain people in America that are really sick and in pain, they can't get medicine because we've overreacted. It's like it's madness. Like instead of addressing the issue. No. The medicine right now is not killing Americans. It's the fentanyl and it's the poison from Mexico. And Remember China. that. But what's really sad is that 15, 20 years ago, when the pills were the ones responsible for creating this crisis, nobody cared. Now, all of a sudden, they want to go after the big pharma, the distribution networks. It's a little late because you already have a population addicted. That's right. And if we don't do something about it now, folks, if we don't do something about it now, we're going to lose a generation in this country and we're going to watch our community suffer. We're going to watch our nation suffer. And we need to support people like Derek Maltz, people like Heidi Riggs, who've lost their children and are fighting against this. And we need to do something at the local level. Let's start at the community level. Find out what's happening in your own community. Listen to your children Warn them that if they take drugs off the street, even if they're even if they're just smoking pot, you know, or that they could be laced with fentanyl, that there are drugs out there that will kill them. Warn your children, because I don't believe the federal government is doing enough to address this and to warn our children. And remember that it's up to you and it's up to everybody in this country, each individual to make a difference here. Sarah, so one thing I wanted to say is that if there was a weapon of mass destruction in Mexico, the Al-Qaeda cell that we identified, what would our country do? We'd go after it really hard, right? But yet we have all these Americans dying from a weapon of mass destruction, poisonous drugs, and people just think that's okay. So that's like really, really weird to it's, me. No, it's because people have to let go of the shame. Let go of the shame. Face up to what's happening in this country, that we're responsible for our addiction as well. And don't be ashamed. If someone in your family is suffering from addiction, get out there and help them. Fight these drug cartels. Fight for the lives of your children. Fight for America. That's all you need to do. Don't ignore it. The crisis is going to get worse. And everybody here knows that. This is why our politicians are terrified of making some of these decisions. The crisis is going to get worse. It's already a crisis, people. Listen to what Derek Maltz is saying and others. This is a crisis. I've been there. I've seen it. I can't thank you enough, Derek, for being here and for being a part of the show and for warning people about all of these dangers. And, you know, I have hope. I believe we can do something about this. I believe that as a nation, we can make a difference. I want to thank you so much for joining the Sarah Carter Podcast Show today here from the beautiful Hillsdale College Kirby Center. Thank you so much. And I hope to talk to you again next week. We're going to be looking at Russia, folks. So much happening. 
the molar is expected to testify on the 24th, who knows? But whatever it is, we'll be breaking it here. And go to sarahcarter.com where you get the latest stories. Thanks again.